Um, so the reading for this evening is taken from the Psalm 139, which can be found on page 628 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 139, for the directive music of David, a psalm. Verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn... If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Good evening. Right, well the title of the talk this evening is Speaking to God, What is Prayer? Now this subject, I can tell you, is a whopper. I am not being hyperbolic when I say that in terms of cosmic significance, the subject of prayer is more important than any global event dominating our news feeds at the moment including Brexit. It's more cosmic in terms of its scope, its importance. And I want to back that up with another big statement about prayer. I would suggest that prayer for a believer 
is the highest privilege that comes with being a Christian. It's that wonderful. Now, if that's true, it immediately raises for me a question. I hope it does for you, too. If it's the highest privilege that comes with being a Christian, why is prayer such hard work? C.S. Lewis, who wrote much about prayer, went as far as to say that for him it was irksome. When it comes to prayer, he said, we're reluctant to begin and delighted to finish. I admire the honesty of Jack, of Lewis. And just as we dig into this subject tonight, I need to own up and tell you that I do not address this subject from the place of having mastered it. It's quite the opposite. Just so you know, I will not be anytime soon setting up the Andrew Fellows International Prayer Ministry. It just ain't going to happen. Prayer is a struggle. A struggle for me. And I'm sure for many of you here. Now, as we think about prayer, perhaps the first thing we should start with is what kind of prayer? Because there's many modes or kinds of prayer that we can engage with. We see many kinds and modes of prayer in the Bible itself. I think of prayer in two big categories. There's corporate prayer. Is what, is, that's what we do with others. We pray together with others. That becomes corporate. And then there's private prayer. And actually, I want to address the subject of praying privately, in isolation, alone in our room, as a daily habit. And as I approach this subject, I want to say that I am not going to give you a how-to in terms of the approach of this subject. I do not have a four-step plan to the perfect prayer life. Some have written those books. I found them profoundly unhelpful. Um, And I would say there might be some value in what we might call a template approach to prayer. We need structure, and there's certain templates or methods that can help us, but I'm slightly wary of all of these. So what I want to do in, in, in this talk tonight, and again next week, is to be more descriptive about prayer. Rather than proscriptive, this is how to do it, I want to describe it. And my descriptive word for prayer is encapsulated in the word conversation. Prayer for me is simply conversation with God. And I use this word as a way of getting at what prayer is. Because that's our question tonight. What is prayer? And prayer, of course, is the most remarkable of all conversation we can have. And I hope to show you how and why that's the case in this talk. Now let me share my hope for tonight. This is what I'm hoping under God to achieve. I want to awake in you a deeper hunger and longing so you'll want to pray more. It's really all I'm after with the help of the Holy Spirit. To awaken a deeper thirst and hunger to pray. And that means painting a picture of prayer that's attractive. So it awakens this desire within you. So there's four things that are written on the, on the card that was passed out to you. Four things to say about prayer as a conversation. The first is this. Prayer is a conversation that functions in speech. That's what conversation is. All conversation works in speech mode. 
It's an interchange of words that involves speakers and listeners. Could be in a larger group, but two's enough. So conversation is a two-way speech. And I would suggest that that gets to the essence of prayer. It's really important to emphasize the speech side of praying. There is lots of interest today amongst evangelicals in what we might call contemplative prayer. Now, there there are things we can learn from this movement. But it often comes with an inference that speech gets in the way of the highest form of prayer. And I would suggest that's dangerous and very misleading. And even if our prayer is silent, we don't use words... That silence is a response to speech, to God's prior word. All prayer, whatever kind or mode it is, rests on the fact that God has first spoken. So as believers, we pray only because God has spoken prior to our making a return word. And he's spoken, if we're believers, firstly in the gospel. That's the word that penetrates the depths of our darkest, enlightens our problem before God, our problem as sinners, and justifies us, offers us complete forgiveness and restored relationship to God. It's the word, the gospel word, that puts us in Christ. And from there, all praying flows. So apart from the first word of God to us in the gospel, there'd be no prayer for a believer. There's the first prior word. And I would suggest it's only because we've heard the gospel word that we now have ears open to listen to the God who keeps speaking to us. And he keeps speaking primarily to us through scripture. So prayer as an ongoing conversation, two-way speech, is rooted firstly in this, that God keeps speaking to us through the Bible. And if we're going to appreciate prayer as a conversation rooted in words, speech, it's crucial that we gain a much clearer sense of what the Bible really is and how the Bible works. Now this requires a fuller treatment than I can give it here. But I want to say this, the Bible is not firstly truths about God or facts about God. The Bible, firstly, is the living voice of God that's constantly addressing us. That's what the Bible is. So it's not just a word telling us about Christ, who he is and what he's done. It's actually the word of Christ actively addressing us. Evangelicals tend although it may be slipping at the moment, to hold a high view of Scripture, which acknowledges its divine authorship, it's the Word of God, and its truthfulness. This is essential. But I would suggest our view of Scripture is deficient if we don't see it firstly as a living speech act, whereby he speaks to us now. It's not a dead word from the past. It's a living Word of God right now to you and me. 
So as we engage the Bible as a living speech act of the Lord who's speaking to us, we enter the conversation at the very heart of prayer. And that's why the Bible has to be central to our praying. It makes prayer the conversation that's two-way speech. He speaks to us. Now often, it's like this for me, prayer feels very much like one-way speech. It feels sometimes as if I'm doing all the talking. But to view prayer as a conversation means that prayer is first an act of listening to God's speech through the Bible. And our word back is a response to the word that he has spoken to us. So a practical suggestion to enhance the conversational side of prayer. I don't know about you, but I'm someone who easily gets lost in my own thoughts. So it's quite helpful for me to read the Bible out loud. And then since I've got a smartphone, I've discovered that I can actually listen to the Bible in the sonorous voice of David Suchet. Now, David Suchet's voice is lovely. It's not the voice of God. But it's wonderful to have an external word addressing me as part of the beginning of a conversation. It helps me to listen to God's speech act as he communicates through the Bible. And it can also be extremely useful if you get lost inside your head and the conversational element gets lost to make your prayers back audible speech. In the past, they encouraged believers. Believers were encouraged to speak their prayers out loud. Now, if your housemate is a psychologist, he may think you're going mad if he hears you speaking out loud in your room. But it's very real and very concrete. You're not going mad. You're engaging in a conversation. And for some of us who are very introspective, out loud is very helpful. Reading the Bible out loud or hearing it read to us and then speaking back to him. Because prayer is a conversation rooted in speech. That's my first point. Secondly, prayer is a conversation that's interpersonal. It's an interpersonal conversation. Now, this is probably self-evident. It should be, but it's worth highlighting. A two-way conversation rooted in speech is always between persons. Only persons are capable of speech acts that make for real conversation. And I believe this may well be the highest act of which a person is capable of to address another person in language and to listen to them as they speak back to us. We do it all the time. It's so normal and ordinary, and yet it's extraordinary in terms of what's going on here. I would suggest it's a phenomenon for which there's no natural explanation. It takes us to the threshold of the unseen worlds, that we can do this with each other. Think about it for a moment. You'll like this, Rachel. You can talk to your cat. I have a cat. And my cat often meows back. I have a very special uh, cat. When I talk to it, it cocks its head slightly. But there's never speech in return. There's never conversation. Now, of course, today it's become fashionable to talk to Siri 
or Alexa, that's become normal for us. That's just weird. And Siri and Alexa can, of course, simulate speech and talk back to us. But it's not interpersonal. Why? Because Siri and Alexa, I hate to disappoint you tonight, are not persons. They're things, not persons. Now, when we have a conversation with God, we are not addressing a thing. Because God is not a thing. God is a person. A person who speaks and a person who listens. God has always done that from all eternity. That's what the Trinity have been up to. Because they're persons. So to speak with God is to speak to the divine person who's other than us. And that's why we're not talking to ourselves when we pray. We're using speech in an interpersonal manner. Now, because prayer is conversation between two persons, it's vital that we learn to address God by his name. All persons have names. And a person is signified to us through their name. That's why it's important in our relationships with others to find out very quickly what's your name. The name of you is a person. And then we begin to address them like that. Now, if prayer is an interpersonal conversation, names should be central. And the Bible tells us a number of times God knows us by name. He knows us personally. And we need to develop the habit of addressing him by name. I hope I don't offend you here. I hear many, many Christians address God as dear God. Well, which God? Humans worship hundreds of thousands of God. What's the name of your God? God is so impersonal. But our God has a name. He has three names. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And actually the Father and the Son have many personal names that they have disclosed to us so we can use them as part of the interpersonal conversation. So learn to use the name of God as you enter the conversation. Now let me bring together these first two points. Prayer is an interpersonal conversation rooted in speech. And I think here it's helpful to see prayer as just an ordinary conversation. There's something quite ordinary about speaking to God like this. We're constantly doing it with other persons, and prayer is no different in terms of how it works. It functions in speech between two persons. And when we speak to God in prayer, the ordinary side comes out in that we don't have to resort to a a kind of religious speak. Prayer isn't sacred speak, which is why children can pray, and pray very well. Prayer is merely speech, and we shouldn't forget that. We don't have to use religious speech. The most remarkable person of prayer I ever met was Edith Schaefer, who started with her husband Labrie, where I worked with my wife and family for, for a couple of decades. Edith was remarkable in prayer. And when I was with her, we'd be having a conversation 
using speech. And often I think something's different here. She just goes straight from the conversation with me to God. There was no, let us pray. Just straight to prayer. And I thought, oh, something else is, oh, we're, we're talking to God now. In that sense, it was just so ordinary. It's a wonderful example that highlighted the ordinary side of this conversation. But if prayer is ordinary in terms of speech between persons, we of course have to say that as conversations, it's also something that we have to call extraordinary. And why do we call prayer extraordinary? Well, because of the one whom we're speaking to. This came home to me when I was living in Labrie. A young man, just become a believer there, and it was wonderful to see his newfound enthusiasm for Christ. We'd arranged a time to meet up, and he arrived late. And I was about to give him a piece of my mind, wasting my time. But he burst into my study, breathless with excitement. His face was shining. And he said, Andrew, Andrew, I've just been speaking with the creator of the universe. This, this young believer, he got it. Little me, he said, I'm so insignificant, and I've had this conversation with the greatest person there is. That's what prayer is. And I felt shamed. I thought, I've lost a sense of that. This young believer gets it. He's ahead of me. This extraordinary conversation. So in prayer, we're in a conversation with God, the great personal creator of all things. And it's no wonder that David in his conversation with the Almighty in Psalm 139 says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It blows my mind. So prayer is a conversation that's interpersonal. Thirdly, prayer is a conversation that puts us in the circle of reality. The great thing about prayer is it grounds us to the real. C.S. Lewis reminded us in different ways that we're constantly, as humans, drifting towards deceit. We're drifting towards a lie, which is outside the circle of the real. And for that reason, he said, we constantly need to be undeceived. Now, I believe that's what prayer does. It's the work, this is Lewis's word, of undeception. Great when I... English guy can make up a word like that. Undeception. That's what prayer is. So prayer is the kind of conversation that disturbs our normal way of seeing things as we drift to the lie. Prayer puts us back into the light of how it is and reorients our perspective on everything. And because that perspective is the true one, it does us the world of good. That's what this conversation does. Now, this reorientation functions primarily on two levels. It reorients our vision in terms of who God is and who we are. And that's why I see prayer as a conversation that functions as a double unveiling of God and of ourselves. So it reorders the way we perceive the real, so God becomes God, and we become what we are, creatures before our glorious creator and father. This happened last week, this past week. I came to my time of morning prayer in a conversation that was rooted in Psalm 97. Now, I came to this time of prayer totally discombobulated, had a terrible, dreadful sleep, 
and my life felt out of control, and I was desperately in my head trying to bring it under control, my control. So there I was, functioning in this deceit that it was up to me to get my life together. And what did I hear from Psalm 97? First three words, the Lord reigns. Well, immediately I was coming out of my deceit at that point. It was a reordering of my perspective. I am not and can never be in total, complete control of my affairs. There's only one who has this power. The Lord, God, who reigns. He is the one who is sovereignly ruling over all things. So in these words, the Lord reigns. I'm brought face to face with who God is. And at the same time, I have to accept my human limitation, a double unveiling. So prayer is the kind of conversation that first unveils God. And we need this. All of us drift to what we might call a practical atheism. God fades from our awareness and becomes functionally useless for us. Now you enter prayer as a conversation with God and you hear him assert, I am. I am your creator. I'm the source of your life. I'm the source of all things. And then he says, I am your father. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, you are brought into relationship with me and receive my full care and love. That's the assertion of who he is, that those I ams. You see, as we converse with God in prayer, he is unveiled for the person he truly is. Creator, Father. And from there, we're led to the place of praise. When you see God for who he is, you worship him, which is why worship and adoration is part of this conversation. But then prayer also functions as the unveiling of self. For as we speak to God in prayer, we see ourselves with a new clarity. There's nothing like prayer to put us in the proper place. And the self-knowledge that comes with prayer is not the result of looking at ourselves, it's looking at God. So when we see him as the creator, we acknowledge ourselves as the creature. It's one of the most remarkable things we can ever that can happen to us in any given day, to get the creaturely feeling. I'm not unlimited. I'm weak. I'm dependent. And I actually define prayer in those terms. Prayer is the declaration of dependence on God. I, the creature, dependent on God, my creator. And the unveiling, of course, goes further. Because as I converse with God, I see my sinfulness unveiled. Before his purity, the depth of his love, his selfless love, his compassion and kindness, his justice and righteousness, I'm revealed for who I am. I'm exposed, I'm unveiled, and there's no hiding from him, which is exactly what David is saying in Psalm 139. You can't hide from God. Don't pretend with him. And what strikes me about David, he's not threatened by that, it's actually a relief I'm unveiled as a creature and as a sinner. But in being unveiled as a sinner, I flee to Christ, whose blood and righteousness covers me. So I'm totally safe in my relationship to the Father. So it's a conversation, prayer, that puts us in the circle of reality, who God is and who we are.
And then finally, and very briefly, prayer is a conversation that best functions as a daily habit. I began by saying that prayer is not easy. It's tough work. And for that reason, we must make it our daily habit. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're reminded that there is a time for everything. It's a beautiful passage. Now, some things we don't have to make time for. They just happen to us. A time to be born. That just happened to you. It's true of the time to die. Those two biggies are outside of your control. They just happen. Other times require our intentionality. We have to set our minds and wills to it in order for it to happen. And prayer is one of those things. A time to pray, I find, never descends on me. I never hear time come out of the closet and say, Hey, Andrew, now's your time. Time to pray. If we wait for the time to pray to happen to us, we're not likely going to develop in this conversation. And that's why time has to be set apart for private prayer on a daily basis. Make it morning, make it midday, make it evening, whatever suits you. There's no law. But some time has to be set apart on a daily basis. And it's as you set time aside for prayer that the habit develops. And that's what required is required. We need to develop the habit. So there's no shortcut to prayer. This conversation must become our habit. So it's a conversation that requires fostering and nurturing. The Lord is ready to converse with us anytime. And he'll give, a, give you the fullness of his attention. We have to make time for him to get the conversation going. So we've been thinking about prayer as a conversation. Think for a moment of other persons with whom you're in close relationship. Your children, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best friend, your parents. None of these relationships can grow and develop without regular conversation. And we're living in a world, this part of the 21st century, where conversations are getting harder to have. We're so busy, we're so often on our tablets, we're no longer conversing, the sociologists tell us. We have to make time to converse. We have to be intentional with those we love. Because it's easy for the busyness of life to take over. Now, given what I said at the beginning, that prayer is the highest privilege that comes with being a Christian... And given that prayer is the most extraordinary conversation we can engage in, surely it's worth developing the habits. And as we do this, create time for prayer as conversation, it becomes the source of our strength and our consolation. So prayer as conversation, the most beautiful of conversation, hard, but develop the habit and allow the Lord to lead you deeper into this conversation, which is life true life. Let's finish with prayer. Father, we thank you for this great, great gift, a gift we find it hard to quantify because it is so precious, and yet we have to acknowledge that it doesn't come easy to any of us, and we ask your forgiveness for that, and we pray that you would show us the wonder of what prayer is
Show us that we are invited to this conversation through your Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of his gospel. And Lord, we pray that you would develop in each of us the habit of prayer, that we'd be firmly, day by day, in the circle of reality, knowing who you are and knowing who we are. So thank you for this gift, and teach us how to pray. We pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen.